75% of any new information consumed by 18 to 25 year olds, the first touch point for that new information is social media. The journalism has to move. It's our duty as people who want to inform the world to understand where the audience is and move and help them navigate the world where they are, not where we might like them to be. That's Kamal Ahmed, Editor-in-Chief and co-founder of The News Movement, reflecting on what the future of news could look like in five to ten years' time. On this episode of Lives of Tomorrow, we explore the future of news, looking into how younger generations are and will be engaging with the headlines shaping our world. Welcome back to Lives of Tomorrow. My name's Carla Bazashi, and I'm the CEO of WGSN, the world's leading trend forecasting company. Today's topic is one that's very close to my heart, having spent a large portion of my career as a journalist and editor before moving into trend forecasting. And in this conversation, we establish what news is today and what it means to younger generations. Former BBC editorial director Kamal Ahmed joins me to discuss this hugely important topic. Now, Kamal has a wealth of experience as a journalist. He's worked as executive business editor for the Sunday Telegraph newspaper and executive editor of news and political editor at The Observer. But he most recently co-founded the news movement, which he describes as a new way of thinking about how you provide news and useful information for 18 to 25 year olds, or actually anyone who is engaged by new forms of storytelling, all of which makes him the perfect guest to help us reflect on the future of news. So for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with you and your body of work, as it were, could you introduce yourself? My name's Kamal Ahmed. I'm the editor-in-chief and co-founder of a new media business called The News Movement. This new entrepreneurial endeavour comes after many years. I think a veteran is probably just about how you could describe me. Started my career in the early 90s in local newspapers in Scotland and then travelled mostly the print media journey through journalism. So from Scotland, local papers, I joined Scotland on Sunday and then to The Guardian, followed by The Observer, The Telegraph, a brief stint in communications at the Equality and Human Rights Commission, and then the BBC and now this new venture. So it's quite sort of a traditional route into journalism. And then you're now kind of at the forefront of pushing the future of news. What was the impetus to launch it? And at what stage do you think actually this, let's maybe not old media, but more traditional media brands isn't for me anymore? Why did you decide to make the leap and especially leap into something that you were going to found and create yourself? Well, I think first off, it's about the opportunity. Will Lewis, who is the chief executive of the news movement and my co-founder. He was publisher and chief executive of the Wall Street Journal, Dow Jones. And Will and I go back many, many years. We were at City University studying journalism together. And we, the two of us have been friends, you know, for, for a very long time. And we've been talking about this issue around this huge audience change and has what might be described as traditional media, as you say, really done enough to change alongside this huge audience shift. And as ever, it's often what happens in your house is what really brings it home to you. And both Will and I have children who are similar ages. My daughter is 23, my son is 19. And you know that that generation are navigating what might be described as the new space in a very different way. So there's this huge audience shift. And 
I've always been motivated, as has Will, with the notion of modernization. If journalism doesn't modernize to serve audiences as audiences change, then there is a danger. There is a danger that journalism becomes diminishingly important for the kind of world we live in. And journalism matters. Journalism is a, a central part of democracy, holding power to account, explaining to people the events that surround them to help them navigate the world. And this problem has really been rising on anybody involved in the media's agenda for the past decade, and social media has really rocket boosted that. So we've been sort of poking around at this issue. I was editorial director at BBC News. As I say, Will was very, very senior in the media industry. And really the stars aligned, to be honest. Will was coming to the end of his time at the Wall Street Journal. I had a big decision to make at the BBC, and often with these entrepreneurial endeavours, there was an opportunity, frankly, and, and Will really took the leap. It was him who, who started it. And then he asked a few weeks in, a few months into this business, whether I would be interested in joining to help him shape this new idea. And that's really how it happened. My partner, she started her own law firm 26 years ago. And I remember her saying to me, Kamal, if, if you don't do it now, you're never going to get another chance. And it has been so much part of what you've been talking about for so long, probably boring her senseless for years <laughs> about the need for change. Actually, yeah. there is that moment, isn't there, Carla, where you can only moan about it for so long before you need to go and do something. So just looking back a little bit, and I'm going to bring my, myself into this conversation. So I launched Huffington Post in the UK probably about 15 years ago, maybe a little bit less around that time. Now, I've, I've moved out of mainstream media into trend forecasting, which is quite a, a career pivot. But at that time, I feel we wanted to do something completely different. And it was, although most of the newspapers had websites, they weren't a big focus for the chief execs at the time and even for the newspapers. And actually, if I just go even further back into my magazine days, and I started on magazine websites at a point where the magazine editors didn't even know they existed and didn't want to think they existed. And now all that's left is the websites and the you know magazines have all gone kaput. And we made a really big splash at the time. When I left Huffington Post, we had more readers than The Telegraph online. But those big titles, sadly, you know, HuffPost and the BuzzFeeds do not have the, I guess, traction today that they did at that time. But you've come up with something brand new. So what do you think is the, is it that the audience is there now? Or is it that mainstream media managed to kind of obliterate that first round of the digital news environment? And that's actually given space for something new today. As you say, what BuzzFeed did, what HuffPost did, what Vice did was absolutely revolutionary. And the issue was not so much the content as the business model, to be frank. We are very aware of the gravitational pull of traditional media. That It was interesting. I was at the World Association of News Publishers conference in Taipei a few weeks ago, and I was speaking to a relatively new social media company, news company in India. And they had started off with this whole notion, very similar to ours, we need to reimagine what news is for the next generation of consumers to maintain the importance of journalism. But they had been pushed more and more into traditional news spaces. And I think every day you have to nudge yourself away from what you instinctively feel you should be doing. And that's hard work. And so that monetization is really important and keeping yourself fresh is really important. But that's not to say that it's only by building the fact that HuffPost, Vice, BuzzFeed and others had already hacked 
quite a big pathway through this new, you know, audience jungle, so to speak, that we're able to do what we're able to do. And now you see a refreshment of the types of offers that you can look at. And if you look at something like Ride the News and other social media operators, there are a number of us who are now that next wave. I think it's going to be wave after wave of organisations. Some will stick, some will have to change and pivot to new areas. But what is always going to be true is this need for a broader, richer ecology of what news content looks like. Yeah. Are you maniacally focused on on a Gen Z audience or a younger audience? Or are you trying to do something that you think resonates and then there will be a halo effect into other age groups? Uh, Much more the second. We have a focus because it's important when you start, you have a clear offer about what it is you're trying to do. The average age of our newsroom is 25. We're very much about not just serving audiences differently, but being the next place for the next generation of talent. So we've got an internal mantra about the next generation of talent, not just the next generation of audiences. There's the news movement, which is our main audience facing editorial brand in the UK and in the US. But we've also done our first acquisition, which is the Recount, which is a social media politics operation operating out of the US. And we've just launched our fashion and sort of online conversation brand Capsule, which is all about the kind of what's hot, what's not in the big conversations around, particularly around driven by fashion. So we have three audience facing brands. The news movement is is the core brand, which is the green logo that people might recognize, but we also have other brands. And certainly the recount, for example, uh, certainly bends to an audience that are more in the news mix. We talk about the news movement starting stories at series one, episode one. We know that the disease of news is that so much of the stories are started series six, episode three, and the audience don't remember the first five series, if they're honest. So the news movement is all about series one, episode one. You join the conversation in a way that you can understand it. But the recount is for an audience that is already politically aware to a degree politically connected. And we talk about series two, episode two. So the recount is already building into a new area. The key is, is the style and the approach of the of the content we create. Okay. This will sound like a pivot in, in questions, so and maybe I'm projecting some of my own concerns. Are you horrified that there is a generation that are getting all their news from TikTok? No, not horrified. I'm I'm a broadly optimistic person. I believe that human beings of whatever age in the end will bend to goodness and bend to what's right. And lots of young people are very aware that they need to search for different sources. They need to think differently. They need to search and make sure they understand what the origin of pieces is. There is a huge amount of misinformation out there, and I'm horrified by some of that. I'm not horrified by the audience response to it. What the audience wants is a demand for accurate, engaging, non-partisan news and useful information but it needs to be delivered in a way that they understand and enjoy and is part of their particularly social media experience i think where traditional media has found it difficult is understanding we never use the word reversion the notion of reversioning from this platform to that platform apart there are some connecting points between the platforms i think we'll come on to that but we don't reversion we start with the audience and we start with social media. Our data tells us, we did obviously a lot of deep research on our audiences before we started, but our research tells us that 
75% of any new information consumed by 18 to 25 year olds, the first touch point for that new information is social media. So the first time they will hear most things in their life, if they don't hear it from a conversation with a friend or their parents or whoever it might be, or their network will be on social media. So you have to start there and you have to start with the understanding that young people, the audience has shifted. We may Old media hands may desire they consume differently, but frankly, that ship has sailed. So you can keep shouting into the wind. You can keep shouting in the wind about it, but there's no point they can't hear you. So you have to move. The journalism has to move. It's our duty as people who want to inform the world to understand where the audience is and move and help them navigate the world where they are, not where we might like them to be. And does that all come really naturally to the 25-year-olds you've got staff in your newsroom? I guess, how much are you having to teach as the media hack in the organisation? How much are you teaching and how much are they teaching you? It's a really mixed model. It was really interesting. I did an event at the World Economic Forum at Davos and I do events with their what they call young global shapers. So these are young leaders from different areas, politics, technology, media, you know, different sectors. And one of the panellists on the conversation I was chairing it's about and. I think this is the and kind of decade we're in at the moment or the and century, I don't know. She said, it's not about us replacing you. You get out of the way, granddad. You're out of date. Leave it to us. It's about a partnership. It's about the skills and passions of my generation aligned with the skills and passions of a younger generation. Will and myself and our three other co-founders who brought this business to life we step back and give space, but also there's a framing that young people know they are secure in the model they're being asked to populate. And that comes from the experience as I, I have as, as an editor, as editor-in-chief. And then we have our news, newsroom leaders in the UK and in the US. And I think that's an important, that mix is is very important as part of, um, of what we do. What One of our great creator journalist Clodagh Griffin. She makes, it's a bit of a joke, but we do repeat it to each other. Every day's a school day, however old you are. And that's that's a nice notion to have in the, in the newsroom. So look, I've got a lot of learning to do as a leader, but we do try and listen first. I think a lot of newsrooms are about talking first and listening afterwards. We, we've reversed that model. So we try and have a conversation, which is about listening to our young uh, talent, understanding what the conversations are in their networks and in the audience listening systems that we have and then responding to that but also lots of young people don't know what they don't know that's where i can sometimes step in and and say there are some areas here where journalism is introducing subjects to our audience that they don't they're not aware exist so you've got to have that mix i'm just gonna flip into a totally different topic and we're gonna ask you some reoccurring questions that we ask all our audiences and all our speakers and then we will come back and continue on this topic so when and how do you prioritize yourself wow that's a really interesting question i think one of the major diseases of journalists is they're always doing journalism which i think has always been probably my problem i think you know with my family i'm very fortunate that I'm able to sort of have time with my family and, and my partner, being with them in a quite, you have to be quite intentional. So I think particularly at the weekend, we have sort of moments when we just spend time, spend time with my partner. My children have grown up now and don't live with me, but we have time to do that. And that's a very important part. So I'm quite a home, quite a home lover, a home lover or 
on a beach somewhere quite wild. So I, as I say, did used to work in Scotland some years, many, many years ago. I keep saying some years ago, like decades ago, because I'm really <laughs> old, obviously, you know. Anywhere the west coast of Scotland, sort of north of Oban, and I'm in a very happy space there with just quiet and walking with my partner is kind of me in really calm mode so I do love that and a little bit of a foodie so if if I can find a nice place to eat to finish off a nice long walk along a Scottish beach I'll be a very happy person. What will you eat if you're home alone and no one is watching? A takeaway from the local Indian restaurant. (laughs) What is your bad habit? Not noticing things that need doing that are very very obvious like emptying dishwashers, putting clothes away, things like that, which I am working hard at doing. And also I make appalling breakfasts for some unknown reason, even though I am of advancing years, I still don't quite seem to be able to make porridge. So uh, those are my two terrible areas which I'm constantly picked up on from my family of being useless at. I'm good at other things, but I'm useless at those two. I do think that that question, actually, we should always ask someone's partner it before we uh, actually ask the the person I'm interviewing. (laughs) When did you last learn something new that's had an impact on the way that you live your life? I think doing this job, it's been amazing to move from being editorial director of BBC News on the board, which is an organisation of many thousands of people globally set up, to actually running your own company is an, an exciting and interesting journey you go on so I think that doing a completely new thing in your life at my age has been enormously gratifying and I've learned a huge amount about how organizations work so you've gone from as I say many thousands of an organization of many thousands to an organization of I think we're now 65 people in New York and London so that's been a really exciting journey and again changing the tone of the topic here what was the last series you binge watched beef was the last series I binge watched and I was very sorry when that finished. I'm also a big fan of Bear. I don't think I only watch series beginning with B, but I'm very much looking forward to watching the second series of Bear as well. So those are the last two big things that I, I don't binge watch to be honest, Carla, because I'm always reading papers, obviously, as we say, we're both terrible (laughs) journalist junkies. So um, I'm relatively steady, but I do consume, yeah, I do consume series, yeah. Okay, right, we're going to get back into the future of news. Now, we've talked a lot about how news is evolving at the moment. What are your predictions for what's coming? I think it's a hugely complicated market where being nimble in what you do for your audience is going to be absolutely key. I'm doing some work at the moment for a strategic company about Media 2030. So I'm not really in the prediction game, but what I would say is that the style of storytelling and story choices have fundamentally changed and are going to be a more and more important part of what the news offer is. And that's all about what I call, we call horizontal storytelling. So that's friends finding out together, moving away from the professor of news, wraps up everything in a bow and then launches it at a grateful audience like they're in a theatre. You know, we tend not to talk about audience. We, we would prefer to talk about community. So an audience sits passively in a theatre and is told things. A community has a conversation. So I think that fundamental change, I think, is, is the first thing that we all need to be aware of in this industry. And I think the second point is the places that our audiences consume the content that we are creating will constantly be in flux. We've seen the great success of subscription models on websites, but 
How long will the notion of traveling to a website to consume things continue? How will that change in the mix? You think of the development of Snap, the development of YouTube Shorts now, and then how Instagram is, is developed into video sharing, how podcasts are slowly the demographic that engaging with podcasts is coming lower and lower. So that whole inventory of work around podcasts is going to be very exciting and interesting. And then the idea that if you look at what Elon Musk is talking about around Twitter and the Everything app, is that are we going to see some evidence of that in Western markets of the WeChat model from China, where you can house everything within these app ecologies, where you do merchandising, you do content creation, you do content delivery. Now, Elon Musk may or may not be right. Many people wouldn't bet against him. So the issue for us as an industry is to understand we are in competition with each other. It is important. Journalism is a competitive trade, and that's important for chasing down stories, getting new lines. But actually, we're in competition with everything else you can do on your phone. <laughs> and that means your mates' holiday pictures, funny images of um, people skydiving into a paddling pool, plus the news, plus useful information about other things, plus film reviews, plus etc., etc. And I think our industry needs to see itself as in the content business, content creation business. And that's where we need to have some different approaches. I just want to think about global audiences. So you're in the US and the UK with your news platform at the moment. Do you tailor how you create the content? Because it's quite an obsession of mine that we are so connected to the rest of the world in everything that we do today. And yet the way that things are reported on often is, and I think often has to be tailored because you are coming from different knowledge bases. You've got to take into different kind of cultural nuances. But we have seen parts of the media who've gone, right, we're just going to have one version of this. You're seeing it at the BBC with some things that, at the moment. What, what's your take on that right now? the For You page and metadata, because it's not about just following accounts, it's what's served to you in your feed. And so if you can do your tagging and your metadata in the right way, things that will be served to people will suit where their geography is. So although on our accounts we have material that is some of it's UK focused, some of it's more US focused, we try as far as possible to be, to be global. I think you're absolutely right. Younger people are as interested in what's going on in Nairobi as they are what's going on down the road. They are just, they are that globally connected generation. They're social natives. But nevertheless, as you also say quite rightly, local matters and local, that might be your city, local might be your country. And so you have to consider that in that for you version of platforms, not in do they follow this account and read it like they read a newspaper, because not many people actually go to your grid or go to your page to look at what you've done, they get stuff fed to them that is that they enjoy. And then the algorithm picks up that they like this type of stuff and feeds them more of that type of stuff. So you've got to be very smart on your tagging, your metadata and how you get into people's feeds. And you need to do everything with a warmth and format that even if it is about something that is not quite in your locality or doesn't initially seem maybe relevant to you, you tell it in a way that hook, that initial moment in a way that connects with an emotion or what if that was me sense, which can get you to follow a story beyond the fact that it didn't happen down the road from you. And think about opinion journalism for a moment. You've got 
you know, brilliant writers. And there are certain publications that I read because of the writers. Do you think that there is a role for that in the future? Because I feel that we're seeing less of that. I would say the creators are the great opinion writers of the future. Who is the new Caitlin Moran, the new Jay Rayner, the new Danny Finkelstein? Well, they are creators. And we have uh, a project in America with Snap called Snap Stars. And we are helping creators on their platform to understand the tenets and the scaffolding of journalism and how it helps them storytell in better ways. And if you think about that creator network, the other place where the media has been too slow is understanding that the creator network is also part of your audience and part of your ability to get information to different places. Some of the biggest reels, video reels we've done on Instagram have been done in collaboration with great creators. And we're just going through a journey at the moment where we really want to imagine what is the new model which allows the new Caitlin Moran to actually be a fantastic creator that young people love to follow, whether that creator is talking about food, sex and relationships, sport, arts and entertainment. And I think, again, at the World Association of News Publishers conference, Richard Gingras from Google News Initiative spoke, and he said that it's all, it's all about the variety of content that you can produce under your kind of heading. It's all about what he called portfolio. You have to have offer audiences a portfolio of things that aren't just grim or super happy or super fluffy. It's got to be a mixed ecology, but also to understand that each platform has a different role in that ecology. And don't just chuck everything on everywhere. I think a lot of the media is still in that space. We've got this thing. Let's put it on everything. And that's not how platforms work. That's not modern journalism. What's the last piece of journalism on any of the platforms that you're most proud of? One of our young reporters who joined us from almost the beginning of our journey, which is two years ago now, Lucy Marley, went to Syria, investigated the, the women who were held there, who went to join the ISIS terrorism network under some possibly, you know, misconstrued view of what they were trying to achieve with that. But that to one side. And Lucy went there with a the team. We had a fantastic um, shoot edit with her and uh, a local journalist as well. And I was very proud that a young talent, as I say, part of the news movement's mantra is the next generation of talent, went to Syria. She got the first interview with a woman called Hoda Mathana, who for people outside America, she's the sort of Shamima Begum equivalent in America. She traveled from Alabama to the Middle East. And Lucy found her in one of the camps and there was her first interview that Hoda had done for five years. So I'm very proud that we've done original journalism. I'm very proud that we've kept teams safe. We've seen, shown what journalism is about and we've told really important stories about global issues. We're going to wrap things up. Final question for you today. Ask this to pretty much all my guests. Are you more anxious or hopeful about the future of news? I'm hopeful. I have been in this industry for many decades, three decades, and I love this business and this business really matters. And the response we've got to the news movement and the recount and capsule has been enormously positive. We've been surprised how rapidly we've been able to grow, how if you do pivot and turn up in the right way, people are as interested in Ukraine. They are as interested in 
what's happening in the heatwave crisis across Europe and parts of America and many other parts of the world. They are interested what's happening in Niger, the coups in West Africa. Uh, and this notion that young people, oh, they've only got time for cats skating on skateboards or whatever is, is a nonsense. But they also want fun things about the Barbie movie and what that might mean for, I think we're now fourth wave feminism. So I love the fact that the audiences, if you can get to do it in the right way, they will engage with a broad notion of what the world might look like and what might help them. But if you've got an entrepreneurial spirit and you want to do the best for journalism, then I think you are naturally optimistic and I am naturally optimistic. Thank you so much. I honestly, I could talk to you for hours. I'm I just, I love this topic. I love this industry. And I'm so glad that there are still people investing in new ways of creating news. I've got three stepkids and they're 10, 13 and 15. And that question about, are you horrified? I am horrified that they get their news from TikTok. Well, actually, they've all deleted TikTok. So they're now pretty much getting it from YouTube Shorts. And that really concerns me. So I'm I'm really grateful that there are people like you out there creating platforms that hopefully that next generation are going to get a balanced view of the world and really understand things better. So thank you. Thank you for joining this podcast. That's it for today. Uh, thank you again to my guest, Kamal Ahmed, editor-in-chief and co-founder of The News Movement for sharing all his insight and personal stories. I do hope in this episode you learned something new and maybe formed a new view on today's topic. As ever, please send your thoughts on the podcast to lives at wgsn.com. Next week, WGSN's Create Tomorrow podcast is back with another episode looking at the future of design. I'm Carla Bazashi, CEO of WGSN. I'll see you next time. <laughs>